millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. I thought the paramedic was the 14th baker. We saw so much of the paramedic, didn't we? <laughs> Which is blood absolutely everywhere. everybody welcome back this is very exciting to be here we are back for another season but we are going backwards in time which is very exciting we are going back to season four we're starting off with Howard season four now I'm not sure what season this is in the USA but this is the season aired in 2013 which is 10 years ago so how perfect for like the 10th anniversary that we uh, we're going to be doing our podcast so uh, I'm going to be your host today. I am Sarah, and obviously we have with us the lovely Dan, Jane, and of course, the man who was there at the time, Howard. Howard, how do you feel about going back over your old series? Is it weird to watch yourself on TV? Oh, it's so weird, because obviously, uh, over time, you, you collect these memories in your head, and then when you actually watch it on TV, you think, oh my goodness, I didn't realise it was like that. I've remembered it through rose-tinted glasses. And then I see this this poor guy looking like a kind of rabbit caught in headlights, just wandering around with a bowl, not knowing what to do with it. <laughs> do, do you have this whole fantasy where you won and then you watch it back and you're like, oh, oh no, I didn't actually win. <laughs> that, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really lovely to watch it back. I remember watching this, obviously, before Baker the Legend and everything, so it's lovely to revisit it. Uh, Jane, what was it like uh, re-watching things from earlier seasons? I, I think we've probably mentioned this before, or somebody has but all the bakers that went before us are the inspiration and the reason we applied for the show, really, because we loved it all so much. And they're our superstars. They're our heroes. 
And the people that came on after us, apologies, Dan, are like, yeah, well, they're all right. Um, sorry, everybody who's listening. But, you know, they, they were. They were the Howard. I remember Howard long before I ever met him. And he, he was just wonderful. And so it was a joy. It was like being wrapped in a big, old, nostalgic comfort blanket. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Very interesting to see how things have changed slightly. I'm sure we'll talk about that. But I, I, Howard looks wonderful. I think he looks even more wonderful now than he did then. And you certainly didn't look like a rabbit in the headlights. You were this consummate professional, Howard, even then. No, loved every minute of it. Yeah, I, I'm curious, actually, Howard. When was the last time you watched this series before before we just rewatched it now? How long ago? Do you oh, think? quite quite a few years ago. I did a, a, a bait with Legend at home. And uh can't remember where, where it was, but someone did, had decided it was a good idea to have it have the series playing in the background whilst I was uh, whilst I was doing this class, and um, so distracting. But yeah, so it's, <laughs> yeah. A, it's a few years since I saw it, but but I was busy doing other things at the time, so I I, I didn't have time to concentrate in the way that I have done uh, over the last day or so. Yeah, similar for me. I watched my series a few times in the year that it was on, and then I did haven't watched it for ages, so I'll be interested to go back and watch mine. I, it's interesting we talk about how much it changed. For me, the thing that changed the most is the feel. I mean, the, we'll get on to how they present everything, but just the feeling was so much more quaint and homely. It did feel like a smaller-scale production. So I'm curious, between the times when you were on the Christmas special and your series, had it ramped up noticeably? Yes, I think so. I think it, it definitely felt by the time I did the Christmas special that um, there was more interest. There was, you know, just the the effort that was put into the production just seemed kind of higher, really, as well. So higher level. So simpler times. Yeah. Ah, uh, weren't they all back then, 10 years ago? Ah, oh, goodness me. <laughs> We're going to be getting very nostalgic on this podcast, uh, I can tell. start as we always do with the signature challenge and we started off for cake week very simple with a sandwich cake and now something I enjoyed is Mary at the beginning saying that she wanted to see something different than a typical Victoria sandwich and of course in true Bake Off style what's the first thing we're shown is Glenn's typical Victoria sandwich. <laughs> Classic editing there. I thought it was a bloodletting cake challenge isn't that what it was? <laughs> <laughs> What was with that? I have to say, I remember one of the other seasons, somebody cut their fingers like 10 times. But how many people was it, Howard? You had a good slice, didn't you? Oh, I did. I, th- I think I think the editing was, was slightly awry because I thought that I was the first one. Um, but it looked as if I wasn't. But who, who knows? But, uh, but yeah, they had warned us. It was a very, very cold day when we were filming and they had warned us that we'd all got new sets of knives. And of course, at home, you get used to the knives that you use and you do things with them that you probably shouldn't do with knives, but you're familiar with them. But there, oh, I was just cutting into a passion fruit and I thought, I only nicked the thumb, but it was so sharp that I thought, oh goodness, what have I done here? I, yeah, I thought the paramedic was the 14th baker. We saw so much of the paramedic, <laughs> didn't we? <laughs> Which is blood absolutely yeah. everywhere. 
so many people. Oh, I think it was easier to say who didn't get cut enough in that first weekend than who did. You know, all the blue plasters on everybody's fingers by the end of the episodes. <laughs> oh, goodness me. So a sandwich cake seems quite simple. What can go wrong with a sandwich cake? I mean, listen, it's Bake Off, okay? So what happens is you get asked to make a sandwich cake and everybody's brains go mental and you start coming up with ridiculous ideas and things that you would never do normally. So lots of things can go wrong. I thought lots of people went simple, which I would have thought was the smart thing to do just to get a good uh, tidy bake under your belt. But some people went crazy. There was this guy in there, I think his name was Harold. He made a rice <laughs> flour cake. <laughs> <laughs> but how has yeah. one earth persuaded you? I mean, your parents are gluten free. No, what, no. What is the deal? It was it was someone who I worked with who was celiac, and when I baked cakes to take into work, I did one cake which was a lime and coconut cake, and people who I didn't know came up to me afterwards and said how delicious this this cake was. So I thought when I, when I actually got the go ahead that I was going into the tent. I thought I'll do a variation on that cake because it was so successful, and the producers were, were the you know the food producer was saying, "Oh, what a good idea to do a, a gluten free cake." So I thought, "All right, tick, tick some boxes here." So yeah, it that's that's where it came from. Just the fact that it had been successful to do a lime and coconut, and I thought. I'll vary this and do a, a passion fruit and coconut cake. Yeah. Quite brave, I would say. Quite a brave choice because oh, um, no, <laughs> it wasn't the easy choice. Is that why you did it? No, it, it, but it could have looked so beautiful because it was supposed to have sort of a lovely, this lovely creamy coconut filling and uh, sort of piped on top, and some little shards of toasted coconut. And of course, because I'd cut my thumb. This cake was late going into the oven, and it when it when it came out, putting the buttercream on, and it seeped all over. Oh, it but you didn't get any negative comments, did you? I don't I think you I can't believe that. Spot yeah. on, a very good cake, absolutely lovely. Perfect. I, I only just arrived back in time for the judging. I I, I ended up going to A and E to to because did you? yes, because what? yeah, because it had got so bad this court. And that the medic couldn't couldn't deal with it, and sort of advised that I needed to go to A and E. So I, I I remember walking back down the hill, and them filming me coming back from the hospital. I suppose just in case this was part of the story about someone who who cuts his thumb in the first episode and then ends up winning Bake Off. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's use that footage. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, this is something we have discussed uh, just before we started recording. I think it's definitely something we need to bring up. How we didn't actually get to see too much of elements of people baking, like, um, you know, Howard's cut his thumb and then, oh, his cake's me- his filling's melted. And we're like, Why? What happened? We didn't what? really get to see too much of some of the baking elements, uh, which I think was maybe down to 13 bakers rather than 12. Or I'm not quite sure why, but I, I was missing some of that information. Did you notice where I was in the tent as well? On like the naughty step at the front. Yeah, yeah, because they couldn't get any more any more units in. I was actually in a unit in line with the judging <laughs> table. But what they made me do was sit back against the counter behind me, which was Francis's, 
to to avoid it looking as if I was too far forward in the tent. And when I when I went to take the bake up uh, in the uh, the showstopper, I had to walk round. Uh, so it didn't look <laughs> as if I was coming from further back in the tent. It's so weird. <laughs> All the editing tricks you hear, you hear it here first, guys. But I would say I saw you your painting, Howard, because it was just you just you, I had no idea. Well, I know you're extremely talented, of course, but you were painting in the little clip of you at home or something. Yes, yeah, absolutely stunning. What oh, a clever old you. thing you are. I mean, do you do this? On, Forget the baking. We didn't see much of the cake, so we're going to talk about how it's painting. <laughs> do you still paint? Do you do it for pleasure? Do you sell them? Do you? No, I don't. I don't. I don't. Well, I I have sold them before. We once went on holiday, and uh, I did some watercolors whilst we were on holiday, and the hotel that we were staying at were quite impressed. So I thought, oh right, can kind of decrease the bar bill by sell, selling a few of these so yeah i did sell a few few paintings on holiday once but that's gotta have a side hustle haven't you <laughs> yeah one thing that i thought was really interesting is something that somebody said to me a, a while ago and i was sort of thought is that really true someone said that sort of francis changed the way that bake-off is with all of her artistic vision and i was like is that true i don't know and then as i was watching this episode back i was like yeah i see it because francis was one of the first ones who's, who really focused on the art and the presentation not necessarily above the baking but everything had like a twist had a theme was uh, and because she's an artist, obviously we saw that she worked uh, in learning children's clothes or something. But yeah, that was really interesting to me. Her jam sandwich, I thought, was interesting. It was a really fun twist. The cake was probably relatively basic. I don't know if she made her own fondant. You know, it, the presentation of it was fantastic. When I remembered someone had said that, I thought, yeah, that's Francis really had strong artistic vision. I thought her jam sandwich was great. It's probably not what I would have done. I probably would have done more just of a classic sandwich cake. But also, do you remember little Ali? How yeah. sweet and young he was. I mean, he's a man now, but he's such a sweet little boy back there. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dan, actually going back to uh, Francis's sandwich cake, that brings up a really good point. Jane, I'm, I'm sure I've heard you talk about when you were on Bake Off, or maybe it was while on the Christmas episode, of that you weren't allowed to bring in certain things, cake tins and cutters and things like that. The minute I saw Francis's gorgeous little sandwich cake tins, I thought, my immediate thought was, is this legal? So it's it's interesting. What were you told when you went into the tent versus, Howard, what you guys were told? Well, when we were in the tent, they were quite strict on what we could bring in. So if you could request them to get you any of the equipment that you wanted, but I recommended that we brought our own cake tins in because we were used to baking with them, which is fair enough. But we had to send photos in to get them approved to make sure that we well, it's the BBC and... They are very careful not to advertise anything. So you had to make sure that it was sort of quite generic. So you weren't sort of saying everybody go to Lakeland or something. To the extent that if we wanted to make a cutter, say for our biscuits, they almost had to be made at home. And we found a lot of our bakers were making things and bringing them in. So, yeah, I hadn't noticed the cake tin, her, her, her bread style cake tin. I don't think it was necessary, to be honest, because you didn't need it to make it look like a slice of bread, because just a square slice of cake, I think, would have done the trick when I saw it at the end. So I'm not quite sure. I mean, we thought it, we had to make our own fondant icing. We 
couldn't, you know, the rollout fond enticing. We weren't allowed to use anything, any particular stamps or anything like that. And then when I went to the Christmas episode, well, we had two people from the Channel 4 series. So we had Liam and then Flo there who were brilliant, really, really lovely to bake with. Then Andrew and I, um, Andrew and I were making all our own stuff and they were using anything that they could lay their hands on from the shop. So I think be interesting to know what the rules are now. Uh, but you know, it completely didn't went over my head that she'd got a bread, a bread shaped cake tin. So I I don't know to be honest. Maybe they changed it because a few series later, I can't remember what her name was. She used some very distinctive cutters, and it was criticised in the tent. And maybe they changed it after that. I don't know. Maybe they got stricter a little later. I don't. I really don't know. I tell you what I care about more, which is the most signature thing that we have on Bake Off is contestants having a mental breakdown over cake. And I think, so Ruby was really, she really took the prize uh, this episode for just absolutely bursting into tears at the first sign of struggle. So how did we feel about this? To go down in flames in week one, already crying into your cake batter? Oh gosh, you go straight in there. Talk about sharp knives. Sharp knives in the first episode, Dan. Did you ever break down in the tent? Or are you just not that kind of person? Did you ever have a cry in the tent, Jane? Me? Yeah. No, I didn't ever cry. She's hard as nails, that Jane. Hard as nails. I came very close to it in botanical week, but we were all absolutely knackered from the the, the shooting schedule. It had been pretty intense for, for reasons I'm not quite sure about. I think because the judges were busy doing something else. So it, it had been very, very intense shooting schedule and, and we were really under pressure. And Paul was absolutely nasty and horrible to us. Did you not even cry when you came third in the final? No, you can't do that, can you? You've got to look utterly delighted that the other person won. Sorry, I couldn't resist. <laughs> yeah, you cracked. But you know what the finals are like, Dad? Oh, no, there sorry. It there it is. I was there. Poor Ruby. Um, well, I, I just think, this, bless this, the first time you've all met properly to bake, you see what other people are baking, and then we've already spoken about, you know, using other knives, you know, how do you use this new set of knives? And if everything is different and something doesn't work when it worked at home, I think I would be like Ruby. I'd just be like, oh God, I'm a failure when you just like all the pressure in the tent. So we'll we'll go easy on her. We're, no, we're going easy on Ruby, but I just thought she only really had one thing wrong, which was that her creme pat split. Like, I mean, no shade to your season, Howard, but like quite a few people had things go wrong. So I didn't think she was right at the bottom. Absolutely true. But the the problem, and you'll, you'll know this, the problem is that quite often you're concentrating so much on your own bake. And if the tent is absolutely full like it was, you don't know what's happening at the other side. And so anything that goes wrong with your bake gets magnified because you think that you are the only one that is having problems. And it's only afterwards when the judging takes place or even when you actually see the programme that you realise you weren't alone in things going wrong. I can't relate, Howard, because I'm not self-centred. I really focus on other people. (laughs) Well, talking of Bake Off moments, we also had a Bake Off moment with Mark, whose oven had not preheated to the correct temperature. 
This is something we see quite a lot. In- what does that well, mean? I don't know. <laughs> what does that mean? He didn't turn it on. That's what happened. <laughs> well, the, this is something we see quite a lot in Bake Off. So, Howard, did they give you instructions on how to use these ovens or did they just expect you to, to know? Because, Dan, when you and me did an event in London a few months ago, you told me to turn the ovens on oh, and yeah. I didn't realise that I had to turn the switch quite a different way you know because my oven you just turn it on so we went to the ovens and they're all cold and Dan's like Sarah you had one job so (laughs) it does happen but I mean I can only speak for my season obviously but the 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 food team went through the instructions the oven very carefully and were like make sure they're on before we even start filming like you know how did they say that to you I think we had two things. We had somebody who came in to explain how the ovens and hobs worked. And I remember at the time being so absorbed by the fact that I was in the bake-off tent that I didn't hear anything that they were saying. And then afterwards, I kept asking the food, uh, one of the home economists, and um, she would say, Howard, you have been told how this works. And I'd go, oh. <laughs> oh, it's like being told off at school. Yes. <laughs> oh, bless. Well, we didn't have too many bake-off moments in this first challenge, but we did have some really, really lovely flavours. Uh, we've had rose and pistachio, grapefruit, strawberry, vanilla, pineapple, lots of passion fruit, coconut, blood orange, lemon and poppy seed, lots of, lots of lovely flavours in there. Some really classic bakes to to start everything off. Jane, which sandwich cake really stood out to you as your favourite? Well, actually, I must say Howard's. And that's not just because Howard's here. I, I love coconut and... I can't remember which which of the judges said it had a lovely rise on it. It looked delicious, Howard. I must admit, I didn't fancy the grapefruit because I'm not a grapefruit fan, but it might have been great. Too much rose water for me. I'm not a huge rose water. Um, Lucy's Lucy's cardamom and rhubarb sounded delicious. I hadn't realised that she'd put tulip petals on. Yeah, in the judging, they said something about, oh, I love the tulip petals. I didn't know you could eat tulip petals. I keep meaning to look it up, actually, to see whether, because I, I'm, as a gardener, I'm very conscious of things you can and can't eat in the garden, and I'm not sure I'd munch on a tulip petal. Oh, I need, I, I'm meant, meant to go back and watch that lemon and poppy seed, absolutely classic. I didn't feel as though we got enough description on what the bakes were. I mean, I think Deborah's at the end, when she came up for judging, she did pineapple and coconut, which, again, is a lovely combination. And Mary said it needed a bit more pineapple, and then she was gone. I think mean, <laughs> that's all we saw of her cake, really. So it's quite hard to comment. Good pineapple cake. I can taste the pineapple. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Oh, and that's all we saw of Deborah's pineapple cake. Maybe in those days you could spot who was not going to go out early on because you don't get much of a focus on them. You know, we had a lot of focus on Toby and all his, what he was putting in and what was going wrong and what wasn't. And then there were some people you didn't really see at, I mean, Kimberly again, you didn't really see much of hers. It it just sort of came in and went out again. So inter- interesting editing in those in those days. It's more, it's more just the tops and the bottoms that are shown, isn't it? Who were? Yes, I think so. Oh, yeah. I think, yeah. Well, it, it's it's like Howard's melted filling. You know, we, we didn't get to hear the story of the melted filling. He just said, oh, it melted. And we were like, why? Although, obviously, it was recorded. I, I think in this episode, there was no 
initial kind of trip round the benches to to say what are you baking today mm. or anything like that was mm. so it was very very it's because we got that segment on the courting cake I think. Ah the courting cake. Yes let's talk a little bit about this. This is something that was uh, in the BBC episodes uh, or in the first seven seven series uh, for those of you in the USA whenever there was Mary Berry and Sue and Mel. Yeah I was quite surprised we had time for a little history segment. I know they're not always popular. I enjoy them but only when we have to fill a bit more space when we have fewer bakers. I don't think now the first episode is the right time. It's like I would rather have heard about other people's bakes. I agree. I mean, it's hard enough when there are 12 uh, bakers, but when there are 13, it's, there was no time for anyone. We got to meet a couple of, was it just one or two people they did a little home backstory for? You know, it wasn't everybody, certainly. So, um, yeah, but the course and cake was interesting. It's sort of a, a bit of a, it, it must be the English version of a Gatto St. Honoré, where you show off all your baking skills, which are shortbread and cake, and whether or not you can whip cream to the correct consistency. <laughs> which they hadn't, which they didn't manage, I don't think. It was so grainy, wasn't it? It looked awful. <laughs> I like the idea of the simpler times of, was it they're promenading and talking about all the sort of, old old tradition <laughs> yeah, where you could grab people on. I'm like when I was a teenager people walked around and hit on each other too like it's not it's not gone anywhere it sounded a bit more like sexual harassment <laughs> in the streets yeah and then the cake afterwards yeah. but well yes yeah. but you get a cake so swing some roundabouts oh no it's the boys who get the cake isn't it oh even worse, misogyny, and then you got to give someone a cake. The worst. <laughs> I am not down for this. <laughs> the girls have got the, word, the wrong end of the stick there, haven't they? That's not worked out well for them. Lovely. So the signature challenge going pretty well for most people, even with uh, Ruby's wobble, shall we say. She made a good sponge with her rhubarb and custard-inspired cake, so... I think it was a reasonably good signature challenge to start off with. Cut thumbs notwithstanding. So now we move on to the technical challenge. Now, Jane, the technical angel food cake. This is probably a good moment to talk about something else we're going to be bringing you guys as well as our podcast. We are going to be doing our Bake Along series again, obviously, with the Series 4 Bakes. And what better way to start off than with a lovely technical challenge of the angel food cake. So angel food cake with Jane, our very first Series 4 Bake Along. And you guys can come to that class on Sunday the 5th of March and we will be doing one bake every week as we did in our previous Bake Along sessions so we hope to see you there. Now Jane this is something you're going to be tackling for us so as someone who has worked through a recipe and has a beautifully perfected recipe for us to all try what are the things we need to look out for in an angel food cake? Well, it needs to be light and airy and almost almost melt in the mouth. You don't want a cake to melt in the mouth because you want to enjoy the eating of it, but it needs to be light and airy. It's, it's basically a meringue with flour shoved in to make it cake-like, but there are loads of things that can go wrong. I've tried lots of recipes. I've now come up with, I think, a really good one. It went down very well with my friends that I gave it away to at the weekend. So the recipe I've come up with, one you, I think we all realise that you shouldn't grease the tin because it sort of clutches onto the side of the tin as it rises up, and then you do have to run a knife around to release it. 
But one, there's a tin that everybody needs to buy, which is quite expensive, isn't it? You know, I don't know what you go and pay for an angel food tin, 15, 16 quid. 300 pounds. <laughs> please, everybody. Dan lives very close to Harrods. So please, so prices from Dan really are not relevant to those of us normal mortals. So we are going to be doing it not with 12 eggs. We are going to be doing it with five eggs. We are going to be cobbling together our own tin so you don't have to go out and buy your own tin. And um, we are not going to be saying 12 egg whites and then what do you do with 12 egg yolks? We're going to be using everything, everything that we use for the cake. We're then going to be using for our curd and our topping and things like that. So hopefully it's a much more affordable dead easy and absolutely delicious angel cake we're going to be doing and, and just making it more accessible in a time where things are a bit are more calls on our budget at the moment I think so this is a budget friendly but equally delicious angel food cake um, I think I think it should be fun I'm really pleased with it actually I have to say though I'd slightly disagree with you Jane because I think it oh, was really that's a surprise I know right but it's not immediately obvious that you shouldn't grease it in I think you're a baker so you know that I think that's actually you know in in a genoise you might still grease it a little bit but i can do so in the angel food cake to not grease it i don't know that everyone would know that oh no i agree i absolutely agree with you dan which again is a phrase i don't use very often (laughs) i probably only know that because i watched this series of bake-off one thing i think was a mistake that people didn't realize was that it had to cool upside down because when you look at that tin it had the three little feet on it and i think you know Anyone in the right frame of mind would look at that and say, well, why does it have three little feet on it? You know, obviously something is for a purpose. So the people who called that the right way up, I think they were, um, their brains weren't, uh, their heads weren't screwed on quite correctly that day. (laughs) You called yours upside down, right, Howard? I did call mine upside down, yeah. Did it fall out? What happened to yours? It was a bit slopey, wasn't it? It was a bit slopey. So I had greased the tin and uh, that was part of the problem, yeah. I'd have done the same. I'd have done the same. Don't don't feel bad, Howard. Don't feel bad. Thank you. (laughs) So, Howard, the first technical of of your season, how did you feel when when you were told what it was going to be? Of course, as we know, the technical challenge is a complete mystery. It is a complete surprise. How did you feel? Do you know, I'd gone through developing recipes that didn't involve the use of a stand mixer. And uh, because I was not confident with a stand mixer, I didn't have one at the time. And so everything I'd, I'd put as uh, in my equipment list was always a hand mixer. And of course, the first technical, they make you use a stand mixer. And I thought, oh, gosh. And they've gone to the trouble of buying us all these nice tins. I'm not worthy of this. (laughs) All this newfangled equipment. (laughs) (laughs) I am not worthy. If you were to get out your little hand mixer and be like, I'm doing it this way, would somebody be like, no, Howard, stand mixer. I think they wanted that consistency that everybody was using the same equipment, really. So, yeah. I'd just like to point out, you do not need a stand mixer for my angel food cake. Good. So don't, don't rush out and buy one. I didn't use it, but it'll be fine. Obviously, we had some technical issues with greasing the cake. How do we cool it? But we also had some questions as we went through. So do we mix the egg whites to soft or stiff peaks? Do we stir in the flour lightly or do we sacrifice a bit of the meringue? as I believe Dan likes to say to the baking gods, to loosen up the flour mixture? What's what's the best way to 
to incorporate all the ingredients together. Well, Jane will know. Go on, Jane. So I whip my egg whites to soft peaks before I add my sugar. And then you have a nice stiff mixture that's going to hold its shape when you fold fold your flour in. Um, for me, I sift my flour in in three goes because that way you don't get great huge glumps of flour bubbles in the middle of your mixture and you have to be gentle. You do not mix some and sacrifice it to the um, baking gods like you do in, in many recipes to, to soften things up. Because as I think we saw with, was it Ruby, you just get this claggy mess that you then can't f- fold into your egg whites. And then she had to start again. That really, really doesn't work with this. So it gentleness is the order of the day. So you don't bash all the air out of your lovely egg whites. And I was th- I think of Dan when I, I do that because I always think of macarons. No, I think of macarons and you do have to keep moving it and get it to the right sort of slump, don't you? Perhaps it's the slumping that makes me, reminds me of you, Dan, I don't know. Well, um, but- <laughs> I know I've got a bit of weight over Christmas, but that's just rude. <laughs> it's turning into like a family therapy session. It always has been, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, we love each other really. <laughs> I love you very much, Jane. And my instincts would have been exactly the same as yours, so I'm sure your recipe will be wonderful. Well, I, I, it went down well, and there was an American at the table who ate it, Ooh. and she went back to second and third helping so hopefully i have got it right but yes gentleness and fold it in in three separate goes just to make sure you have a nice even spread of your flour and you don't have to beat the living daylights out of it to get the flour out of the way which will make it tougher and deflate it so yeah gentleness you've heard it here first guys now howard you we've mentioned you were on your sort of little special bench at the front did that make it a bit more intimidating during the technical challenge because there was nobody even to the right or left of you to sort of spy on to check you were doing it right we because you were just sort of isolated from everybody behind you did that make it harder it did i i i I can't remember the exact wording of the recipe but it said something like top with with whipped cream and i literally did what i think ruby did with hers which was just put whipped cream on the top and took a breather and turned around and realized that everybody had had covered the sides of their cake as well so i'm whacking it on in the last few seconds so that's why it had a slightly rough finish but yes if if i'd been further back in the tent i would have been able to observe what everybody else was doing but um had to wait until i had a chance to turn around really were you told you shouldn't turn around we were told we you're not supposed to look at other people you're not supposed to turn around and you're not supposed to sort out each other's problems you were you were on your own we might we might have been told that along with how to use the ovens but i don't think i was (laughs) (laughs) howard wasn't paying attention (laughs) i don't know i think the technicals used to matter back in the earlier seasons didn't they do you not think they do now no I don't think they pay any attention to the technicals. Aww. I think it's. I really don't. I think the technical could swing it in the olden days. I don't think. That, I don't feel like the technical can swing it anymore. Well, what if? Should we go into rankings quickly? Because I thought that was interesting. Howard, how did you do? I came sort of midway, didn't I? Um, about six. Yeah. So were you happy with that? I was. I was shocked because <laughs> again, I was so shocked. I thought they've forgotten to. They've forgotten to call me out. Uh, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I expected to be much further down yeah. with my sloping sides. But apparently I'd got a nice curd and that didn't... I mean, nobody... 
there wasn't enough time to talk about anybody's in in detail, was there? No, they just sort of ranked them, didn't they? I believe the only... uh... Big comments. Uh, well, we've we've spoken about it, haven't we? We've spoken about greasing the tin, so that's why the cake might have collapsed and been not quite as big. We've spoken about not cooling it upside down. So those things we've we've pretty much covered. I think the only thing we haven't covered is poor Toby making a salty cake, oh, yeah. um, and you really don't see Paul Hollywood <laughs> spitting cake out of his mouth quite so vehemently. On television. How does one make that mistake? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, I think at one point, I can't remember what challenge it was. I put the salt in instead of, I can't remember what it was, bicarb or baking powder. I did realise before it was too late and and remade it. But it's a lesson, isn't it? Always taste your mixture before it goes into the tin because you can then tell when you've, forgotten to put the sugar in, forgotten to put the salt in, put the salt in instead of the sugar. And it happens more often than than you think because you're busy being distracted by something else and go, oh, yeah, God, I forgot to put the yeast in my bread, which I do on a regular basis. I have a really good tactic for making sure that I don't put the wrong things in my cake, and that's that I have eyes and I look at things. Oh, shut up. No, I just I just thought it was quite a mistake to make. And it was also a tiny little pinch pot. Daniel! The salt was in a tiny little pinch pot. Like, the sugar surely would be in a big jar. I just thought it was just a very random mistake to make. I never salted my cakes. No, but you forget to put gelatin in your creme pot, and I have to remind you. Listen, you. We don't want your input here, Sarah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so if everybody wants to start making a list of every time Dan makes a mistake that's not in a on class, television that doesn't count <laughs> it's live to people you still have eyes you still have eyes Dan. yeah perfect don't use my own words against me <laughs> Toby obviously coming last in that challenge bless him with his salty cake Howard coming a very respectable sixth very good indeed and first we have lovely Rob, who's had a very, very good challenge with his pecan and apple cake and now coming first in the technical challenge. So, yes, let's move on to our showstopper challenge. Going into the showstopper challenge, I believe it was Rob that was in very good position. Christine was in a good position as well. And maybe Toby and Ruby down the bottom there. But yes, our showstopper chocolate cake. Now, Howard, we can't go any further in this without talking about your gorgeous, gorgeous, as we've mentioned, artistic skills with that beautiful polar bear, uh, which also got very high praise from the judges as well. I believe Mary called it a masterpiece, which it really was. It was beautiful. It's really, really gorgeous. What was your inspiration for that cake? It's funny how everybody calls it a polar bear. I don't know what a polar bear is doing in the Black Forest. But <laughs> <laughs> I think it's global it's, warming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was supposed to be a sort of, it was a, a little bear and I'd made him kind of silvery because I wanted a, a, a kind of silver grey uh, bear with, with bright blue eyes. But presumably this was just an elaborate ruse to flirt with Mr. Hollywood, because I think the only thing more impressive than your moulding skills were your flirting skills. What was that about, (laughs) Howard? Where's your dignity? (laughs) This is coming from Dan. No, I I think it was... I I know we're not supposed to talk about the audition process and things like that, but I, I think right 
from the start, someone had asked me what was my reason for going into the tent. And I, I jokingly, partly jokingly said, uh, Paul Hollywood. And from then on, I think it was therefore on my record. This guy fancies Paul. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they would tease me about, you know, uh, th- I think there's a, a, a later episode where they say, have you had any Bake Off dreams? Have you been dreaming about any of the judges? <laughs> oh, God. Not those kind of dreams. Uh, <laughs> well, Paul, I'm going to call him Paul the Polar Bear. I appreciate he wasn't a polar bear. Maybe it was just the lighting in the tent. He, he did look very, very pale. But it was beautiful, beautiful skills there. So what's the most important thing to consider in a chocolate cake? Because we had some disappointing comments over the challenge a dry cake not a lot of flavor coming through what do we need to think about when we're making a chocolate cake making a chocolate cake is actually not the easiest thing in the world you know a lot of people think that you can just use like a victoria sponge and just put cocoa powder in it that doesn't really work you just sort of end up with a very dry cake it doesn't it's not sort of unctuous and moist a lot of the time you have to use uh, melted chocolate or get a lot of moisture in there by adding water and sort of lots of eggs and stuff so it's actually not that simple you can't just put a bit of cocoa powder in it and uh, there's a great variation in between things that are sort of light and caking things are sort of dense and moist and indulgent so it's not as easy as on paper it sounds super easy but in reality there's a, a big variation you can have in making a chocolate cake i thought it was some very interesting ones i think howard probably would have seen a lot more of it than i would have done but i was intrigued by francis's and whether or not that was chocolatey enough what would you say about that howard uh, <laughs> it didn't it didn't scream chocolate cake to me no it was beautiful but it didn't scream chocolate cake yeah i think she'd done like a, a certainly there were different flavors in the different cakes and some of them looked lighter than others, but had she she concentrated her chocolate, I think she'd done like a sort of chocolate ganache type nutty squirrel in the centre, hadn't she, of, of one of them. So there was chocolate in that. Yeah, but if someone said, I've made you a chocolate cake and you cut into that, you'd be like, where's the chocolate, love? But what was the brief for the decoration? They said two kinds of, or two types of chocolate decoration, what was it? Yeah, so they were suggesting, I think at the time they suggested you could use something like, show two different skills with chocolate. So I chose to do tempering the trees and using modelling chocolate for the bear. I have to ask about the modelling chocolate. I just remembered I have to ask you about that because I wanted to use modelling chocolate and they said to me, "Can and I wanted to just use modelling chocolate and they said, can you make it in the tent? And I said, well, no, because if you make it, you have to rest it for like 24 hours so that it rehardens. And, and so they said, well, no, you can't use modelling chocolate. So were you oh. just allowed... Yeah, were you just allowed to use it? Yes, we were. We were permitted. So they, so they did allowed us on this one. It was showing a different skill. Oh, uh, right. Okay. So yeah, yeah, they yeah. Were, yeah. So they said, yes, you can use modelling chocolate, but you've got to do something else. So that's why I did the tempering as well. Ah, uh, so that's the skill is the molding. So I just wanted to roll it out to cover something. Oh, right, they, wouldn't, yeah. they wouldn't let me use it because I think that's like their equivalent of like using buying shop or fondant as buying ready-made molding chocolate. So yeah, yeah, sounds it. like it. Okay, yeah. fair enough. But I was just, that was struck me straight away. I was like, oh, how come, how come he's allowed to do that? I thought your molding was impressive. I sort of forgot you were quite artistic, Howard. No, and, and <laughs> I so, but I was so frustrated because I'd done what I thought was such a beautiful bear in practice and then trying to mould it with one thumb bandaged oh. up. It was so like... Oh, it looks so clunky, you know, but it it was okay. 
I thought yours looked lovely. I really did. I did too. And you're the only one that did a rectangular cake as well. I thought it sounded delicious, Howard. One piece of chocolate work that was very uh, impressive to me was the um, chocolate straws. Uh, The guy, was it Robert who made the chocolate straws? Oh, Rob's chocolate straws. Beautiful. That's a real skill. That's hard to do. Seriously, that's so difficult. Like, I struggle with that. Even even I struggle even with that. Even you. Um, Good God. But I did you heard wonder, it here first, folks. I know, right? But I did wonder. I didn't think the rest of his cake was that impressive. But the chocolate straws kind of like, they, he had the little baskets and the straws. So I thought his chocolate work covered the brief really nicely of having the different types of decoration. But his cake didn't blow me away. Was it very impressive to you on the on the day, Howard? I think it was. And I think, you know, some people, I think, had struggled a little bit, had got very ambitious and not then been able to deliver what they were wanting to deliver. And you could definitely see that Rob had perfected everything he was wanting to do. So I think that was, that was most impressive. Some people had had... had great ideas like Ali bless him with his little chocolate uh, butterflies and then only ended up with one to, to put on top didn't he so and then he put passion fruit seeds in his cake for some reason oh yes what that's was not that? great I'm like, that's just one of those choices where you're like dude how did you ever think that was going to work like, what did you think was going to be nice about that? I've got a few passion fruit seeds in my passion fruit cake, but yeah, I suppose in a chocolate cake you can't see them, can you? Oh, just I just think I find them unpleasant in a regular passion fruit. I do too, actually. I think there's more seed than passion fruit, and yeah. I just like to see. I like the flavour, but yeah. Well, some other cakes that the judges seem to really like, despite Ruby's slightly rocky start and maybe not the most impressive decoration, she had a lovely chocolate and ginger cake. I believe Rob's cake actually tasted really good as well as having impressive chocolate skills. Christine's hat. I liked Christine's hat. What did you think of that, Jane? I liked the hat. I think the shame of the editing in this episode was that we only really saw the hat when it came up to the judging table. You know, because I write notes as I go along and I stop the recording and I, I just go, you know, look at those lovely pictures that are drawn of them. And then I, I found this episode, I had lots of blanks. I thought, well, have I missed Christine's cake? And then suddenly it's up on the table. And it is, it was, it was lovely cake, wasn't it? And I'm assuming she made those flowers out of modeling chocolate because she has some lovely roses around it and the wonderful shine of the um, crown part of the hat. I thought it was lovely, but we didn't really hear much about it. Looks, looks exciting, lovely shine is all I've written down from the judges. I think, yeah, I think they've improved their editing from then to now to be more informative. Similarly, Becker's, which was the chocolate cherry one that had truffles on it, um, it got really good feedback, but I don't think we saw anything of it until the judging table. I loved uh, Mel's comment about the tiny temper, which yes! completely, <laughs> completely by, yeah. missed. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, I miss Mel and Sue so much. Oh, they were just... So and Mel's little face after she oh, made the joke and all looking to camera. <laughs> she was so pleased with herself. Oh. <laughs> Utterly, utterly adorable. Another skill a lot of people did in the tent, which must have been really tricky to do at all, let alone 
in the first week on Bake Off is tempering chocolate. That that is something that we've taught in a few classes. We've we've touched on, and it's it's technical, it's complicated, it's time consuming. So yeah, what do we think about so many tempering attempts? in uh, in week one well I mean, it's a tricky thing to do isn't it and and if actually if you haven't got a decent quality chocolate especially with white chocolate which is basically the cheap stuff it's really difficult to work with it's difficult and it's a definite skill i think it was a real mix this whole episode wasn't it there was some simple we had a chocolate cake not as simple as on first appearances but you've had a sandwich cake and you've had a chocolate cake Gosh, I would love to have done that. And, and it seems very simple compared to the challenges the new people have. But And then they go and, and chuck in chocolate tempering. So I think there's a real mixture of skills, which was nice to see. But tempering is a tricky one. And you really need to keep an eye on it. The fortunate thing with tempering is it either, I mean, I suppose it's technically true of everything, but either it works or it doesn't. Like there's, a, you know, like if you make a cake and it's not perfect, you can kind of cover it up and put a bit of buttercream around it. But if your chocolate tempering doesn't work, it just doesn't work. Like there's nothing to be done. You just have to either start again or give up. So um, yeah, it's it's an impressive skill to take on. And I think it shows people's level-headedness because if you rush it, you'll get, it won't work. You know, you have to be patient and you have to double check what you're doing. So um, yeah, well done to everyone who got that right. And um, commiserations to everyone who got it wrong because it's a very, very easy thing to mess up. Can I just ask what people thought of Mark? Was it Mark's profiteroles? When they came out of the oven, they looked as though they'd all slumped to me, his profiteroles. I expected him to get one of those really cutting comments from Paul saying, if you're going to put something on, make sure it's good. Because they were, didn't, they, to me, they didn't look like great profiteroles. They didn't mention that. I, do, I question, every time somebody goes to sort of a bit above and beyond the brief, I do wonder why. Like, they didn't ask you to make shoe pastry. Why would you do that? For the showstopper dance. Good idea at the time. I think we've all made bad judgments in the tent, haven't we? Yeah. But I'm just like, why why? I applaud his bravery in that cake. I mean, not only have we got profiteroles, which obviously is the shoe pastry, on top of making a cake, but that collar that sort of opened up and gave way for the profiteroles to fall down. I think he made a very good attempt at something that looks incredibly difficult especially in week one so great brave very brave i also want to disagree with paul hollywood which again is very unusual for us on this program (laughs) isn't it is he said oh you used milk chocolate for your collar you never get a good finish with milk chocolate lies yeah well you pick up a decent box of chocolates anywhere and they've got beautifully tempered milk chocolates as, as a variety it's rubbish i mean something hadn't gone quite right because it was quite cloudy he probably got his temperatures wrong but you can get a perfectly good effect with milk chocolate yeah it's definitely definitely easier with dark chocolates but there's it's not you can still do it with milk yeah yeah and you can temper white you know you just have to have decent chocolate with a good cocoa butter content really yeah i don't know what he was talking about jane it's almost like he hasn't got a clue isn't it (laughs) (laughs) they should have us they really should should. i mean we know everything yeah i mean the contestants (laughs) would never get a chance to talk but we'd have that i think i think there was one comment that was that there were some strange comments i i I thought watching it back there's one bit about that you can't bake cakes on different levels in the oven it's like yeah, you can. Of course you can. <laughs> I must say, when they said that, I sort of questioned my entire belief system. I was like, well, 
<laughs> really? Isn't I mean, that the whole point of a fan oven. Yes. <laughs> I mean, well, you do get a slightly different bake, but with a fan oven, well, you just move the shelves around if they're baking unevenly. You know, it's just yeah, yeah. Bit, bit of nonsense. I have to say though, like I don't know if it's just my rubbish oven, but if I bake two cakes on the same shelf, they're still slightly different. The one nearer the fan is darker. You know, it's, so it just, I don't think I think you're talking rubbish. Talking rubbish. Rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> so, something else I'd just really like to say that I uh, did actually get to mention at the beginning. The very beginning of the signature challenge, Mary says, we're looking for sandwich cakes. I don't just want a Victoria sandwich with strawberry jam and cream. <laughs> This is what Glenn makes. Absolutely fine. This is not a knock at Glenn. He puts those gorgeous big strawberries in it. And Mary says, I would have taken out the strawberries. I have left her <laughs> with a Victoria sandwich, strawberry yeah. jam and cream. Mary doesn't know what she wants. What you want, Mary? What you want? What she wants. <laughs> Obviously, as we all know, this is uh, not a secret or a surprise, as we've all hopefully seen this season. If you've not seen season four and you, this is your first experience of it, then I, I, I feel sorry for you. I really do. Um, <laughs> so our first star baker of this season is Robert, who had a lovely pecan and apple cake, which I'm not sure we actually saw too much of, uh, but did very well in this technical and wowed with his beautiful stripy chocolate cigars. And of course, that means we do have to send somebody home. And for the first week, it was poor Toby. His chocolate cake failed to impress and he had a very salty technical. So I think not really a surprise there. Poor Toby. Not a surprise that Toby went home, but I do think that actually Howard should have won. Oh, okay. Okay, Well, it's really weird because... You know, I had no idea that I was in the running for Star Baker that week, and it's it was it was shocking to actually watch the edit and to see, oh gosh, this was the closest I ever came. Never oh, got I thought oh. <laughs> you peaked in week one, Howard. You I peaked. Mean, you're middle of the pack in the technical, but I thought your showstopper showed a, a greater variety and interest in terms of chocolate skills. So I would oh, thank you. In, considering how things generally seem appear to my perception to be weighted more on the showstopper, I would I'm, I would have thought you would have been very much in the running for that. So uh, not biased at all, Howard. But yeah, um, get in the bit, Robert. But let's let's have Howard win it, shall we? <laughs> Hashtag Howard was robbed. Howard was robbed by Rob. Yay! Yay! Hunting for the win. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I just wanted to say something about Mary. She seemed, she softened a lot, I think, over the series. Is there something about Mary? Something about Mary. She looked very much sterner than I remembered her looking. And she was going, there's definitely enough time with four hours. And I thought, oh, Mary, I'd like to see you bake one of these with two different types of chocolate skills and get it chilled in, in a tent for four hours. I thought she was harsh. Do you think over the series she then softened so it was more good cop, bad cop? Because I remember her just being very supportive. She found something nice to say every time when I was in the tent. But she seemed, it seemed as though they were much firmer. Both of them, I thought they were, there was less 
joking about and much more seriousness. I think Paul has definitely gone more bad cop, but in more of a jokey, lighthearted way. Like, you know, he's sort of mean, but in a not unkind way. Do you know what I mean? Just sort of harsh. And I think maybe Mary swung the other way. But yeah, it was, she did have a bit of a sour puss, didn't she? And, but, and originally when she said four hours, I was like, yeah, four hours is ages. But I think from memory, we had four hours to do our chocolate collar cakes and we still were all down to the wire on it. Um, but then that has had to be two tiers, at least two tiers and both of the chocolate collar. So yeah, maybe they could have done more in four or four hours. I don't know. I mean, I think she was right. I thought four hours was enough. It's just, it's just, she was quite stern instead of the soft, fluffy, cuddly Mary that we all know and love. Yeah, I could have used her in a more floral jacket. I think it would have been better. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to say, I, I thought we all looked a bit rough. Do you know now, nowadays people people put far more makeup on, don't they? Oh yeah, we, we were um, all a bit. Well, Dan does. <laughs> I do now. I didn't on makeup. On makeup, I thought I was quite handsome until I saw myself on television. It was quite the shock, I can tell you. Um, but yeah, no, I did notice. Like some, of, uh, most of the, the women on on my season were quite dolled up, you know, relatively speaking. And I did notice that. People barely had mascara on in the tent. It was a simpler time. It was a simpler time. Very lovely time, though. I, I, of course. I, I, I'm enjoying looking at this old series. It, it's very nostalgic, but I think there's a real feel-good factor about it. You don't feel feel as though you're on the edge of your seat, biting your nails or going, oh, my goodness, I'm never going to attempt that. Yeah. I think we can all attempt all of those challenges. It makes it very accessible to the viewers, I, I liked I liked it a lot. A lot less anxiety. Yeah, I think so. It might not have had quite the detail we've come to expect of later seasons, but it definitely was softer and calmer and, I, I don't mean more enjoyable, but more mm. relaxing mm. in that aspect. So, yes. One thing that I do think is wrong about the nostalgia that people have, though, is people used to, people often level the criticism. They say, oh, in the olden days, they used to be more focused on the baking. And I'm like, I don't think that's true. No. I think that's no, no, I don't think so either. <laughs> yeah, it's a surprise, yeah. yeah. I think I think I would have been one of the first people to say that. And I watched this episode back and went... Yeah, they, they did talk more about the baking. It was, you know... So, um, yeah, that's an interesting perception switch that some of us have, uh, yeah. Well, there we go. That is episode one. That is Cake Week done and dusted. We are very much looking forward to bringing you guys the rest of this season. As we like to do with all our podcasts, please do let us know if you have any questions you would like to ask any of our lovely bakers and we shall answer them on the podcast. You can contact us via social media. We are at Bake With A Legend or you can email us thebakedown at bakewiththelegend.com. So thank you very much dan jane and howard we have done cake week we will be moving on to bread next week paul hollywood's most favorite week so we will see you all next week thank you so much everybody see you soon bye bye you just heard a stripped media production Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. 
Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.